Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for using me today to touch hearts and change lives for the better, for the kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about our words. Last week, we were talking about how powerful our words are, how much gravity they carry. Romans 4.20 says, No unbelief made him waver, talking about Abraham, concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That is our foundational scripture today, Romans 4.20. i read it again. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Last week we learned that it's prudent or wise to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We got that from the book of James, verse Chapter 1, verse 19, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word they speak. So we, we touched on the power and the severity of our words, as I mentioned, and also how revealing our words are. Learning that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. These words that carry so much gravity and power. So if we know, here's my question to you. If we know according to scripture that without faith no one can please God. And now we know that we will be judged for our words. Doesn't it make sense that we should be speaking faith-filled words? That's simple addition. You know, yes, check, check, equals yeah, check. So we need to, to look at ourselves in the mirror. We've been learning about that too. The righteous mirror of the word. Let it read us and find out where we are and... and, and Regarding God's ways and what used to be our ways and see if we're getting rid of those ways and lining our lives up with his ways because we're better for it. And the times in which we live, whether the skies are revealing the coming of the Lord or we just know in our hearts because of his promises in his book that he's coming. We should be ready. And when he gets here, we don't want to be made ashamed. So we need to be walking in faith. Jesus said, when I return, will I even find faith? So who are you going to call? When it comes to the real life issues that we face from day to day. I always say that way more people go to Google than God. And as Christians, we shouldn't necessarily be going to Google before God. Not saying Google isn't a powerful tool. It is. We all use it. I hope we, you know, if you're smart, you use it. It gets things done in a hurry. Find out a lot of stuff. Everything's right at your fingertips. But when it comes to issues of our lives and our hearts, our relationships, our bodies, our prosperity, our Eternal life, we need to be talking to Him a lot more than anyone else. I was listening to a testimony of a preacher who actually from Texas, from the Houston area, I don't know where he lives now, but he had been in a terrible car accident some 25 years ago. He was pronounced dead. Um... Someone had prayed for him. He came back to life. He was in the hospital. 
he woke up and he saw the surgeon standing over him because he had terrible things happen to him in that car wreck and they were going to have to do some things that uh, were not looking good. He woke up just for a minute, looked at the doctor and the nurse and the surgeon was telling him, you're going to have to have this and this and this and that, you know, in the very least, it won't be good. You'll have this and you won't be able to do this and that and that. And he said, all I said was, God's got me. You're going to do a great job. And then he passed back out. Now, the importance of this is his testimony about that. He said, when it came down to it, when it came to this trial in his life, he had spoken words of faith and stood in faith because it's what he'd been practicing for the 20 years prior to that. That's what he'd been putting in and standing on and learning and growing in. So that's how he behaved in the crisis. James chapter 2, James says, well, let me look over there for just a second. The Lord dropped it in my spirit. James chapter 2, James is saying, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? He goes on to describe how they ought to go together. And, and he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Is what James said. And then I guess some people were saying, well, we, we believers just like you. We believe in, in the Lord just like you. And so he goes on and says one of the most sarcastic things in the Bible, James 2.19. You believe there's one God. Because he's just telling them, you need to have accompanying works. By, by Real faith is going to compel you to do some things and they're like well we believe just like you he said okay you believe there's one god you do well even the demons believe that and they shudder in other words just believing you know the devil does that he's not saved but the devil never surrendered his life to god he has never been obedient to god since he failed he won't ever have the opportunity to repent angels don't get that chance we do I want to read a story out of 2 Kings chapter 4. This is about a woman who really captures the things we've been talking about when it comes to the gravity and the severity of our words. 2 Kings in the Old Testament. After Samuel, you have 1 and 2 Kings. Um, 2 Kings chapter 4. There's a, just to save time, I'll kind of draw you a picture here. Elisha, Elisha, S-H-A, the latter, after Elijah, he, he was the man of God and he would pass by this certain woman's house when he would go through this area. She was, a, I would say she was a wealthy woman good standing in her community, a very good person, believed in God, and she would see him go by, and she compelled her husband, she said, let's make a room for him up on uh, up, upstairs, put a bed and a lamp and a table, and then when he comes through here, we can let the man of God stay here, and so they did that, and they would, and so he would stay there, and he would, they would feed him and stuff like that when he came through, so they were just doing what God compelled them to do, uh, you know, put on their heart to do. And that was a, that's a very smart thing. And so in return, Elisha wanted to do something good for her. And he asked his servant, find out what, what's, what she needs and, uh, and what can be done for her. She says, well, I live here amongst my own people. In other words, she was happy. She was content. She had it going on and she was happy about that. She was a thankful person and she was didn't really need anything. And the servant told Elisha that. And he said, well, 
what what does she need though what can be done for her he goes well she doesn't have any children and so he called the woman over and he told his servant tell her this time next year she'll have a son that's pretty awesome and she said oh no Matter of fact, I'll just start reading right there. Second Kings chapter four, verse 16. And he said, at this time, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Verse 18, when the child had grown... I want you to be thinking about our words and I want you to be thinking about faith, true faith that produces corresponding actions while I read through this. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers out in the field. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. He had a terrible headache. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. I want you to think about this. Think, put yourself in that position. Your son just died in your, in your lap. She went upstairs to the man of God's room, put him on his bed, and closed the door behind her as she left. Verse 22. Then she called to her husband and said. "Look, Okay now what would you say to your husband? This just happened. What would be going through your mind? What would you be saying? What, how vocal would you be? Here's what she said. Then she called to her husband and said. Send me one of the servants. And one of the donkeys. That I may quickly go to the man of God. And come back again. And he said. Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, that's his servant. Look, there is the Shunammite. She was a Shunammite woman. Verse 26, run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, all is well. Are y'all listening? And when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi, that's the servant, came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, first time now she speaks. Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out.
Woo! Praise God. Is that awesome or what? Is that awesome or what? Wow. You notice, for whatever reason, she didn't have the teachings that we have. She didn't have the New Testament. She didn't have the promises of God in Christ. But somehow she had a supernatural impartation, I would say, of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit and of a knowing. And she refused to speak death. She refused to speak what she saw in that situation because she was not settling for that. She was not going to settle for anything less than what God had promised her. And so when she couldn't say anything good, she didn't say anything at all. And when she was pushed about it, she just said, all is well. Until she got to the man of God. And even then she wouldn't say anything. Gehazi couldn't see it. But the man of God saw that she was in terrible distress. And then he finally realized it. And he sent his servant to go do this. And even then she said no. You're the one that's going to do it. <laughs> you're the one that made the promise from God. You're the one that's going to follow through. So she did a wise thing. She refused to acknowledge this death. To give any credit to the devil. To... Uh, reinforce his position or his stronghold in that situation. And she didn't settle for what the devil had to offer. And because of it, she was rewarded by her faith. In the great faith chapter of Hebrews, you see where there are a lot of people mentioned by name, but it simply says, uh, and what I believe to be speaking about this woman as one of them, uh, by faith, it says, the women of old receive their children back from the dead. And that's, I believe, she's in that great faith chapter in Hebrews because of her faith in this situation. Listen, I'll let you just meditate and think on that great story for everything it's worth. There's so much you can glean from that. But basically... Today, I want you just to see what great faith it took for her in that terrible crisis situation not to fall apart. When things went south, she didn't go with them. She didn't fall apart like a $3 suitcase at the first sign of bad news. And because of it, she was rewarded with resurrection life in her son. <clears throat> God says in 1st John or 3rd John verse 2 there's only one chapter so 1 2 Beloved I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth they are definitely joined our personality our mind our will our way of thinking is definitely connected to the outer manifestation of the blessing of God in our life because as a man thinketh in his heart so is he and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and the power of life and death are in the life and death are in the power of the tongue the bible says and those who love it shall eat the fruit thereof there is a spiritual war being waged whether we like it or not we're in it and just ignoring it, being one of those complacent Christians that are in denial of it, just causes you to lose. It's better to engage and to know uh, the wiles and the tactics of the enemy because the promise is if we resist the devil, he will flee. So it's important, first of all, we've been blessed to find out that a lot of things that God has attributed for are given credit for or blame for he is not responsible for it's the devil and so because of that we know that when god puts um or when 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 people run into problems in their lives or sickness or or the things that jesus has dealt with by his atonement that we can resist those things because it's not god that we're fighting it's the devil Faith is pleasing to God. 
And he does want to prosper us. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be saved. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's already done it all. He's paid the highest price to provide us with everything we need. Now, it's our reasonable service, is what it says in Romans chapter 12. Reasonable service to renew our minds according to the word and find out how to walk in faith. The life of faith that he's called us to. How to talk in faith. In love. Because the only thing that matters now, it says, is faith expressing itself through love. And all these things can be translated to victory for every part of our life if we act upon it. Amen? Romans chapter 3 talks about being justified by the law of faith. We're no longer trying... uh, to no avail to be justified by our actions or by the works of the law. But now there's a new law in practice. It's called the law of faith. And that's what we're called to. To walk in faith, uh, expressing it through love, in agreement and obedience to God. So today I just want to talk for a few minutes about how we can increase our faith. Is that something you'd like to be... uh, more knowledgeable and informed about? Well, me too. Amen? So we'll, we'll dive into this together. And we'll take a few minutes to grow in this today. Amen? All right. Let's see. The first thing I think that I need to touch on is the fact that God has not blessed one person with more faith than somebody else. Because sometimes I think that's one of the things that we think. And it can become an excuse. So we want to get rid of that sacred cow right now. Folks often say that someone... They'll see somebody prospering in their life. Or they'll be prospering according to the word. They'll be applying the things of the word. And they're they're prospering in their health. In their finances. In their family. And so forth. And then... They get the mistaken impression that God has given this person more faith than they gave them. And that's not true. I want to tell you a story There's a that was in a golf digest many, many years ago. I'm not a real big golfer, but I have run across this story a few times and I always liked it. It was uh, there was a golfer named Gary Player and he was being interviewed by this golf digest magazine. And uh, he he put he put this uh, he put this uh, to words. I, I guess kind of a, an interesting. I don't know why I thought it fit today. He told this little story. He said, "I was practicing in a bunker down in Texas, and this good old boy with a big hat stopped to watch. The first shot he saw me hit went in the hole." And he said, you got 50 bucks if you can knock the next one in there. I hold the next one, he said. Then he says, you got $100 if you hold the next one. And it went for three in a row. As this old boy peeled off the bills to pay him up, he said, boy, I've never seen anyone so lucky in my life. And Gary Player shot back. He said, well, the harder I practice the luckier I get. And I think that has a lot to do with the Christian life, with this life of faith that we're talking about today. Because the first thing that we need to settle in on is that every believer has been given a measure, the same measure of faith, of the God kind of faith. Now there are... There are gifts of the Spirit, and one of them is miracles and faith and things like that. Just like with tongues, there's tongues and interpretation of tongues for church settings. But with tongues, everybody gets the, t- the, the, the prayer language of tongues when they're born again. If they're truly born again, it comes with it. And, and it's the same with this. When we're born again, we get the measure of faith from God. Rome, Ephesians... Verse 2, chapter 8 says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this 
not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. There have been lots of debate I've seen in different channels. What's what's the gift of God? The grace or the faith? Both. <laughs> Romans twelve three. According as God has dealt to hath, H-A-T-H, that's uh, King James for it's already done, has already dealt to every man the measure of faith. See that? Romans 12, 3. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So faith comes from God. It's the gift of God. But he's given it to every believer. He's given to every believer the measure or the same measure of faith. Notice that God is the one who's done it. That's what it says in Romans 12, 3. That God hath given to every man the measure of faith. It's not something that he's going to do. (coughs) Pardon me, it's something he's speaking in past tense. At salvation, we've been given this measure of faith. So we're not trying to get faith. That's something that we need to understand. We're not trying to get faith. We're not praying for faith. God gets everyone started off in the same way. He doesn't give one person more faith than He gives another. He gives to every man the measure of faith. Then your faith grows according to what you do with it. Y'all with me so far? A lot of people have done with their faith the same thing that fellow in, I think it's Matthew 25, did when Jesus is telling the parable about the people who were given so many talents and this one guy just buried his in the, in the ground. <laughs> and that's what a lot of Christians have done with their measure of faith. They buried it, so to speak, in the ground and they've done nothing with it at all. It's up to you what you do with the measure of faith that God has given you. The second thing that we need to be aware of is that the measure of faith that He's given us can be increased. And what I mean by that, and it's not, and it's, and we're not the one, we're the one that increases it, not God. Because remember, he starts off by giving us all the measure of faith. And Jesus said, if you, have me- if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would go. So we, need, we don't need more faith from God. He's given us everything we de- need, but what we need is to increase it. God furnishes the means whereby faith can be increased. But we increase our faith by doing three things. And I, I just made it, in my mind, this is the way that I kind of remember it so that it's kind of rhymey or whatever, rhymey or matchy. Feed, heed, and deed is what I call it. Feed, heed, and deed. <laughs> and you'll understand what I'm talking about. We have to feed our faith on the Word of God. And then we need to esteem Or place value on what we've learned. We need to place higher value on the word of God than we do on the world. And the world's wisdom and what the doctor says and what the banker says. We need to esteem the word of God very highly. We need to think of it as the ultimate deciding factor in our life. The prom- if God says something, that should settle it. <clears throat> and then we need to use it. We need to work, work with it. We need to exercise this faith, putting it into practice. So now do you understand the meaning behind feed, heed, and, and, and deed? Feed it by feeding it the word of God. Heed it by, by heeding and taking into account and, and, and esteeming it and giving it credence in our life. And then deed by acting upon it so that we don't have dead faith, but we have actual working faith. So that our 
Faith without works is dead, James says. So we don't want to be in that category. So we need to feed our faith. We need to esteem the word of God highly. And we need to act upon it. The Bible often uses natural human terms to teach spiritual truths. And Jesus did that quite often. I want to look in on the Lord Jesus and see how he taught us about this this very thing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus here is using a natural human idea to convey a spiritual thought. He's saying to us that what bread for, for food is to the body, the word of God is to the spirit or the, and the soul, which is the heart of man. You know, if you eat food regularly, which hopefully we do, then it'll build you up physically. But if you eat right and you eat a lot, but you don't exercise, all you'll do is get flabby and out of shape. Kind of happened to me. I know at one time I could do a flying sidekick over a, over a parked car or over a group of people. But now I have to sit down to put my socks on. That's my fault. <laughs> a lot of people say old age. I say more, more like old habits than old age. And that's the truth. I remember Caleb in the Bible. He said uh, when he was 85, he said, I'm... I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. Give me, give me the mountain. You know? In much the same way, we need to feed our faith on God's word. But we also need to exercise our faith. Because if we don't, our faith muscles are going to get flabby. <laughs> they won't be able to do much spiritually when it comes to moving the mountains in our lives. You understand what I'm saying? To get the correlation there, Jesus always taught like that, and I think we can, we can, we kind of get the point if we use some natural examples like that in our body and physical exercise is a great example of the spiritual aspects of our lives regarding faith. In Romans ten, verse eight, Paul called the message he preached the word of faith. Do you remember that? He called the word of God the word of faith because the word will cause faith to come into our heart. Romans ten seventeen, God's word will build assurance, confidence of our relationship with God. It'll, it'll assure us of who we are in Christ and it'll put faith in our heart. The word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then we're supposed to exercise that faith. You say, well, you either have faith or you don't. Well, in one sense, that's true. You're either a believer or you're not. But once you're a believer, the believer's faith, one believer's faith may not be the same as another's faith. The Word of God tells us that our faith, however, can grow. Therefore, one person's faith may not be as developed or as strong as another person's faith. But it didn't mean that they didn't they weren't given the same measure of faith from God. They were. Remember, it's up to you what you do with the measure of faith God's given you. You can cause your faith to grow is the point. You can feed and exercise it. So when the storms of life come, you'll have strong faith or you can do nothing with it and you'll have weak faith. I put a story, I think, John said he read my book. I think I, have a, I, think I put it in that book about seed don't grow in the sack. <laughs> and that's all true. Talking about our spiritual garden. 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. <coughs> That's Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. God is saying that faith can grow. Well, since faith can grow, it can be either strong or weak. Wouldn't you agree? It can be developed or undeveloped. Let's see what else Jesus said. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus said, But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? There it is again. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 31, Jesus said, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Remember this? And so Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Well, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him, saying to him, watch this. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Are y'all with me? In these passages of scripture, Jesus is speaking about little or small faith. In Matthew chapter 8, starting at the fifth verse. Jesus commended, I'd rather y'all just stay with me on this. You know, there's a lot of scriptures. What I'm doing is I'm, 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 I'm giving you a bunch of witnesses. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established, what the Bible says. So I'm giving you a bunch of witnesses that prove what I'm talking about, about strengthening our faith and that God has given us the measure of faith. Are y'all with me on that part so far? Okay, I want to make sure I wasn't getting, getting too too lost myself in this so that no one could understand because I'm just trying to make some points about the fact that faith, we get the same measure and then what we do with it is up to us. So he, he said, you have little faith. He said that, that faith is growing. Our faith can grow in Second Thessalonians 1 verse 3. And then in Luke 12, 28, he, he said, oh, you have little faith. And then Jesus said in Matthew 14, Oh, you of little faith regarding Peter when he started to sink. So in these scriptures, he's talking about the, our faith and how it can be small or little or weak. In Matthew chapter 8, starting at the fifth verse, Jesus was talking to this, this centurion uh, uh, who, whose, whose uh, servant was, was sick. And Jesus commended the faith of that centurion. You remember that? Who came to him on behalf of this servant? And Jesus said that this man had great faith. Great faith. So Jesus told one man that he had great faith. And he told another man, Peter, that he had little faith. Romans 4 verses 19 and 20 speaks of weak faith and strong faith. So now we've got some different aspects. Romans 4, verse 19, and being not weak in faith, talking about Abraham, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Unbelief is a, is a pariah. It definitely works against our faith, but was strong in faith, strong faith. Giving glory to God. All that to say this. So faith can either be weak or strong. So I'm proving to you through scripture here that faith is measurable. That it can grow. We already mentioned that the Bible talks about growing faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 Acts 6.5 says Stephen was full of faith. James 2.5 Mentions rich faith. James 2.22 speaks of a perfect faith. 1 Timothy 1.5 speaks of unfeigned faith. Or faith that is genuine and sincere. 1 Timothy 1.19 speaks of shipwrecked faith. And of holding on to faith. And to a good conscience. And 1 John 5.4 speaks of overcoming faith. The Bible says, like I said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. 
That's Matthew 18, 16. So I just gave you more than 10 witnesses regarding our faith and the strengthening of it or the weakness of it. Small faith or little faith, weak faith or strong faith, little or great and, and growing faith and also other aspects of faith that we have control over. All these verses should prove to us that faith is measurable and that it can grow. Our faith can be strengthened by feeding it on the Word of God and by exercising it or putting it into practice. Amen? Just need one amen and I'll move on. Alright. There was a guy who used to make a comment. He said most Christians feed their body three hot meals a day. And then their spirit, one cold snack a week. (laughs) And then they wonder why they're so weak in faith. God's word is faith food. You see that? And if we want our faith to grow and be strong, we have to feed it more than once uh, once a week. So, how, how do we begin? You have to start right where you are, for one thing. No one climbs a ladder by starting out on the top rung. You have to start at the bottom and work your way up to reach the top. That stands to reason. That's the thing that defeats a lot of well-meaning Christians. They try to believe beyond their faith. When they really just need to take what they what they have, that even if it's just a small amount of childlike faith, at least that's pure faith. And say this, I, I, can, I believe this. I know God said this and I believe that and I'm holding on to that. Remember, just because someone is, is fed more on God's word and has exercised their faith, it's not a sign that God has given them more faith then he gave someone else. That person who fed on the word and exercised their faith had the same measure of faith when they started out that was given to them by God. But they fed their faith, they exercised it, and their faith grew strong. And as a result, now that person can believe God for more. That's all. They just have a more, a purer faith filled with less doubt, less unbelief, less of the cares and worries of the world because they've decided to apply the things that they've learned over a period of time and their hope in God is strong and their faith and trust in God is strong and they've developed a track record of God's faithfulness in their life. And that's all anyone needs to do. We have to make a decision, though. There has to be... We hear an awful lot these days about lines in the sand. Devon and I, about a decade ago, drew a line in the sand between us and the devil, between us and the world, between us and the lies and deception that had tried to kill us and to destroy us. We found out the truth about God and the devil. We fell in love with the Lord Jesus and we made up our minds. If he said it, that settles it. Does that mean that we work now in perfect faith, in pure faith, in really strong faith all the time? No, unfortunately. Matter of fact, it's one of the reasons that I'm preaching this message this week because I saw my wife struggle in this area at the first of the week regarding some things in in her body, maybe some, you know, way she was feeling. And so she, uh, you care if I tell (laughs) she decided to to go to the doctor. And uh, even though I was saying, I was trying to point her to the things that we already knew. Long story short, she went and everything, fine, but... During the midst of all this, the Lord was dealing with her and talking to her as he does so gently and so well. And he was reminding her of some things that she already knew. 
that she had kind of gotten away from. If you let the devil or the world talk you into things, they will. And when they talk you into things, they're talking you out of the things of God. Nevertheless, when it comes to living a life of faith, it's like it's like that great golfer that we we talked about. The more I practice, the luckier I get. Trust me, if he didn't, if he had never hit ten thousand chip shots from that from that sand trap he wouldn't be able to walk out there and hit three of them in a row into the hole he got luckier the more he practiced in other words he got better he practiced a lot and that consistent practice that perfect practice resulted in perfect golf this is a lot more serious than golf this is our life and the life of others that God wants us to be helping and praying for and I think sometimes we can get caught up in our faith so much that we begin to put faith in our faith and we need to remember that we don't have any power apart from God the moment you decide to believe that God said it, that settles it. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. They will heal the sick. They will raise the dead. When you really believe that, and it's unhindered by the things that you see, or the reports that you get, every one of us can walk right into that hospital room, and raise whoever we want out of that bed. Not with our own power, but with His. He has given us that authority in this realm. And when our faith becomes undiluted by the cares of this world and the unbelief and the doubt that we struggle with because of all the things that are constantly vying for our time and attention and affection, and we practice what we preach, what we hear, we become doers of the word and not just hearers, we will be strong in our faith. And we will be able to accomplish all the things that Jesus said we would accomplish. When Jesus said we would do that, he was making some assumptions that he has every right to assume that we would be obedient to him and apply the truths as his disciples that we have come to know. So we need to just keep a positive attitude for starters about our own faith because God has given us the measure of faith. We need to recognize that we do have faith and that we can cause it to grow. If there's something we can do about it, that's a good thing, isn't it? Then being totally dependent upon, well, if God wants me to have great faith, he'll just give me great faith. He's given you the measure of great faith. You just need to power it up. He wants you to. He's given you all the tools to do it. And this word is filled with little containers of faith. Every word in here is alive and active. And it will make you strong in the faith if you will apply it. Even if you don't read the Bible a lot. If you will hear the Bible, because faith comes by hearing. And so that's why I encourage people, when you're reading, read out loud when you can. Because you're hearing that word, and faith is coming. Because you're hearing that word. I notice that even like when I'm reading, like I'll read, Tavana and I'll read, I'll, I'll read uh, like one of the epistles. I'll read Philippians or Colossians or something like that. I think the other day I read... Uh, uh, James or something like that. But as I was reading, as always, God is just speaking. And I'm hearing these things and I'm seeing these things that he's talking about. But I'll look over at Tavana sometimes and and she'll be ooh, hurriedly underlining certain things. 
And I'm not even thinking about that part of it. I'm, I'm really, God's really magnified this other part to me. But to her, he's really speaking to her about something else. Something else came off the page to her that day. You see what I'm saying? And that's how it is. The Word of God is alive and active. So you really need to have that relationship with the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And this is Him in the pages of this book. And this is how He's going to speak to you and help you to grow in your faith and your relationship with Him. And then we just need to really give it a lot of credence and heed the Word and magnify it and put great trust and importance in it and having done that, it's going to cause us to act upon it. And it's always just going to result in good things for our lives. Amen? We need to feed our faith. Exercise our faith. And wherever we're at in our Christian walk, God is going to meet you right there. You take two steps toward Him, He'll run five towards you. And our faith will grow and be so strong that we can move the mountains in our lives just like He promised we would. Believe and do not doubt. That's our part. Amen? The way to fight doubt and unbelief is to fill yourself with the truth of God's Word and really put a lot of confidence and trust in it. More trust than we do in the word in the world. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for teaching us and growing us and helping us to be obedient and strengthening our faith as we learn to depend upon you and trust you more and more. Help us to have a passionate desire for your word, to read it, to heed it, and to use it so that strong faith can truly become part of our lives. We long to be doers of the word and not just hearers, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness and always keeping true to your word and your love for us. Thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper and that we will abide in the shadow of your wings. Your favor will continue to surround us as a shield. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.